Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Finning International third quarter 2021 investor call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. Analysts who wish to join the question queue may press star then one on their telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Amanda Hodson, Vice President, Investor Relations and Treasury. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Finning's third quarter earnings call. Joining me today is Scott Thompson, President and CEO, and Greg Palachuk, EVP and CFO. Following our remarks today, we will open the line to questions. This call is being webcast on Finning.com. We have also provided a set of slides that we will reference during our prepared remarks. The slides are posted on the events and presentations page of the Investor Relations section of our website. You can also view the slides on our webcast page. An audio file of this call and the accompanying presentations will be archived on our website. Before I turn it over to Scott, I want to remind everyone that some of the statements provided during this call are forward-looking. Please refer to slides 10 and 11 for important disclosures about forward-looking information, as well as currency and non-GAAP financial measures. Please note that forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors as discussed in our annual information form under key business risks and in our MDNA under risk factors and management and forward-looking information disclaimer. Please treat this information with caution as Finning's actual results could differ materially from current expectations. Scott, over to you. Thank you, Amanda, and good morning, everyone. On today's call, I will speak about our improved earnings capacity and the exciting opportunities we see in our business as the transition to clean energy gains momentum. I will also talk about the steps we are taking to proactively manage supply chain constraints and inflationary pressures going forward. Greg will then provide an update on our financial performance in the third quarter and our strong execution towards the mid-cycle targets we communicated at our investor day. Please turn to slide two. We are very pleased with Q3 results. Our global team delivered a record third quarter EPS of 61 cents, which is the highest quarterly earnings in Finning's history on an adjusted basis. This performance is a direct result of our strong execution to deliver on our strategic plan and improve our earnings capacity. We have rebuilt our business to produce significantly better results across all metrics and expand our return on invested capital going forward. Our consolidated return on invested capital is approaching 15%. We continue to drive our construction product support growth strategy by leveraging our digital platform Cubic and offering a broader scope of customer value agreements and rebuild options to customers. We have seen growth in construction product support in all of our regions. While our total product support revenue was up 11% compared to Q3 2020, 
our construction product support revenue increased by 17% over the same period. In the UK, we are excited to provide HS2 customers with digital solutions on our Cubic construction platform. This platform gives customers access to data to enable smarter decision-making with a view to achieving productivity gains, cost savings, and better safety performance at construction sites. We are benefiting from our reduced cost base and continuous efforts to make our operations as efficient as possible. Our SG&A as a percentage of net revenue was 17.8% in the third quarter. All of our regions are demonstrating strong operating leverage as we are progressing towards our SGNA target. Our organization is becoming increasingly more digitized, relying on data from connected machines and market analytics. We are constantly driving improved inventory forecasting, more agile processes, and better pricing decisions. This allows us to proactively manage our inventory and generate solid gross profit margins in a highly competitive and constrained supply environment, such as the one we are facing today. We were able to increase our inventory by $150 million from December 2020. While we expect some delays in delivering equipment to customers, we are confident that our proactive measures have contributed to a healthy inventory position and will enable us to meet our revenue targets. When we compare our performance to the adjusted Q3 2019 results, which was pre-pandemic, our EBIT is up 13% and our EPS is up 24%. Our consolidated EBIT as a percentage of net revenue this quarter was 8.6%, the highest profitability in the last 15 years on an adjusted basis. Our team should be proud of this achievement, especially since our revenues have not yet recovered to 2019 levels. It is their dedication and exceptional execution in serving our customers that have delivered such strong results for our shareholders in a very complex and dynamic environment. Our outlook remains positive. The market fundamentals are strong, our backlog continues to increase, and the supply chain headwinds could result in a more prolonged equipment cycle. We expect a tight supply environment to lengthen lead times for new equipment and parts in all regions. As a result, we are seeing increased demand for used equipment, rentals, and rebuilds. We continue to proactively manage these constraints by taking mitigation steps in collaboration with Caterpillar and our customers, such as optimizing preparation time on equipment, sourcing used equipment, and offering rebuild and rental options. While the broad-based strength in commodity prices has created a positive backdrop for our business, particularly in our resource markets, we are dealing with an industry-wide escalation of inflationary pressures from price and wage increases. We are monitoring these trends closely and are taking steps to address the potential impacts on our business. Many productivity initiatives are underway in our regions to further reduce fixed costs and make our operations more efficient. We are also taking proactive steps to mitigate technical labor shortages, including leveraging our improved network capacity and newly implemented continuous shifts, conducting targeted recruitment campaigns, and expanding our apprenticeship programs. For example, we have recently announced the investment in a new RRR facility located on the traditional territory of the Kamloops Schwabam Indigenous Band in Kamloops, British Columbia. Construction is now underway. 
The larger footprint of the new facility will allow for business expansion and the creation of approximately 100 new jobs. Importantly, the new building has been designed to be more energy efficient and will include improved heating and cooling, as well as efficient lighting, motion sensors, wash water recycling, light harvesting, and on-site renewable energy. This facility will reflect many of the operational efficiencies planned for our RRR network, including continuous shifts, specialist tooling, autonomous technology, and consolidation of all regional rebuild work. We look forward to sharing these benefits with our customers when we open the doors in late 2022. Before I turn it over to Greg, I will speak about the latest developments and exciting opportunities we see in the clean energy space, both in supporting our customers and reducing our own carbon footprint. Natural gas, hydrogen, and electrification are becoming an increasingly important aspect of our business as our customers are progressing towards their long-term goals of achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions. I believe our business has great potential for growth as we support our customers in their transition to cleaner energy sources. Caterpillar has accelerated the development of power solutions utilizing natural gas blending and hydrogen. We recently hosted a technology demonstration day in Calgary to showcase Caterpillar's tier four and hydrogen blending capability to customers in the oil and gas and electric power generation industries. We have cost-effective and reliable products today that will help our customers optimize their operations and support their emission reduction targets. A great example is a well-serviced fracturing trailer that utilizes a tier four dynamic gas blending engine along with a transmission and hydraulic pump. CAT's dynamic gas blending engine is the only tier four DGB engine on the market that allows for substitution of up to 85% of diesel fuel with natural gas. In addition, as was demonstrated on that day, these engines can substitute up to 20% of fuel with hydrogen. We are increasingly seeing our fracking customers switch to DGB technology. In fact, we have more than a dozen of these engines in our current backlog in Canada. We have a large footprint and capabilities in Western Canada to capture opportunities in natural gas, which is widely considered to be an effective and economic transition fuel to clean energy. Blending increasing proportions of hydrogen into natural gas is viewed as a near-term path to lower emissions with existing technology. We believe that compressed natural gas, renewable natural gas, and hydrogen have significant potential with our customers interested in exploring the use of low-carbon fuels. With this in mind, we made a strategic decision to expand our forward fuel capabilities by acquiring a majority ownership interest in Comtech, an early stage developer of alternative energy infrastructure and provider of proprietary mobile fueling solutions for CNG, RNG, and hydrogen. The electrification trend is also gaining momentum and accelerating demand for copper and lithium globally. Copper mining is contributing about 25% to our revenue today, mostly in Chile. We are cautiously optimistic about copper mining growth in Chile as we await the outcome of the general elections and clarity on the proposed mining royalties. We are also seeing meaningful growth in mining for copper and other metals in Western Canada. Caterpillar's advancement in advancements in electric equipment for underground mining and the partnership with BHP to develop battery-powered large mining trucks are exciting news to us and our customers. 
Earlier this year, we announced our own target to reduce our absolute GHG emissions by 20% by 2027 from 2017 levels. Our initiatives focus primarily on minimizing the environmental footprint of our facilities and fleets, including the use of natural gas and hydrogen. In 2022, we will start using natural gas to power a portion of forward fuel and finning service vehicles. We have also recently secured sustainability-linked terms for our $1.3 billion credit facility, which aligns our cost of borrowing to our progress in reducing emissions and further demonstrates our commitment to the environment. Looking ahead, we expect strong market conditions to continue and the mid-cycle environment to transition to upcycle in 2022. We remain focused on growing and compounding our earnings and driving value for all of our stakeholders. I will now hand it over to Greg. Thank you, Scott. I'm going to provide more details on the regional performance in the third quarter, our progress towards mid-cycle targets, and our capital deployment. Our consolidated third quarter results and key drivers are summarized on slide three. We broke several earnings records this quarter and achieved the best working capital performance in our recent history, while our revenues remain well below record levels. Net revenue is up 21% for Q3 2020, driven by higher new equipment sales in South America and the UK, and an increase in product support revenue in all operations. As market conditions continue to strengthen, we are proactively managing our inventory and technical resources to meet customer needs. Improved gross margins as a percentage of net revenue in most lines of business, combined with strong, strong operating leverage, drove a 29% increase in EBITDA compared to adjusted EBITDA in Q3 of 2020. EPS was up 65% from adjusted EPS in Q3 2020, reflecting record EBIT and lower financing costs related to reduced net debt levels. Slide 4 shows changes in our net revenue by line of business compared to Q3 of 2020. Higher new equipment sales in the quarter were led by strong demand in construction markets in all our regions, particularly HS2 units in the UK. In addition, we had large mining equipment deliveries in Chile. Growth in product support revenue was a result of significantly improved customer activity and our continued strategic focus to capture aftermarket share in construction. Our backlog was $1.6 billion at the end of September, up from $1.4 billion at the end of June 2021, driven by increases in the UK and Ireland and Canada. As discussed last quarter, we expect to deliver key building blocks of our backlog, QB2, Wave 1 HS2, and Cadelco at typical lead times while well, we expect more recent additions to our backlog to have longer lead times, which we've quoted and planned for. An increase in gross profit from Q3 of last year was driven by higher net revenue, higher used equipment margins, and improved rental physical and financial utilization. SGNA was up 7% on a 21% increase in net revenue from Q3 2020, coming in at 17.8%. 110 basis points lower than in Q3 of 2018, which had similar revenue levels. While we continue to make progress on our fixed cost reduction program, it's becoming increasingly difficult to be deflationary, particularly in the near term with incentive compensation, transportation, and procurement initiatives. We can continue to drive our initiatives globally to further uh, make improvements across people, facilities, and supply chain productivity, and are working to offset these headwinds. Moving to our Canadian results and outlook, which are summarized on slide six. 
Product support revenue is up 12% from Q3 2020, growing across all sectors. Construction product support revenue is up 16%, driven by a significant number of rebuilds. Used equipment sales were up 35%, and revenue rent, rental revenue is up 27% from Q3 2020, with higher used equipment sales to mining customers and strong demand for both used and rental equipment in construction. We continue to see strong activity for rental equipment with a purchase option, or RPO, with both construction and mining customers. New equipment sales were down 3% from Q3 2020 due to lower mining deliveries. However, new equipment sales in construction were up 13%. Improved gross profit as a percentage of net revenue and higher rental utilization, combined with lower SG&A as a percentage of net revenue, resulted in significantly higher profitability. EBIT as a percent of net revenue was 10.4%, up 230 basis points from Q3 of 2020 on an adjusted EBIT basis. It was a very strong quarter for Canada that benefited from a high proportion of construction equipment in the revenue mix, RPO conversions, and a very healthy backdrop for rental, parts, and service supported by a very, or very active and dry construction season. Our outlook for Canada is positive, supported by robust market conditions and construction and strong commodity prices. While supply chain constraints remain a headwind, market activity in Canada is returning to pre-pandemic levels. We are seeing strengthening demand for product support and rebuilds, driven by higher production in the oil sands and slowly increasing mining budgets and active construction projects. Please turn to slide 7 for our results in South America. New equipment sales were up 126% from Q3 2020 in functional currency driven by deliveries to Chilean mining customers and improved demand for construction equipment to support mining infrastructure and general construction projects. We expect to continue delivering large mining equipment over the next two quarters. Product support revenue is up 16% from Q3 2020 in functional currency, with strong demand across all sectors. We continue to see improved demand for mining product support with projected increase in copper production, mature equipment population, and declining ore grades. Our ROIC in South America was 19%, our best performance since 2012, a testament to the strong execution, cost reductions, and supply chain improvements over the last two years. We recognize that the current political and economic uncertainty will continue to impact customers' investment decisions, particularly as it relates to mining greenfield and new expansion projects. However, market fundamentals remain strong, as global demand for copper is growing, and copper prices remain high. We believe that Chile will remain a globally competitive copper producer, and our outlook assumes a moderate increase in mining royalties. Turning to the UK and Ireland, I'm on slide eight. New equipment sales were up 45% from Q3 2020 in functional currency, driven by deliveries to HS2 customers and strong demand in construction markets. Product support revenue increased 8% from Q3 2020 in functional currency, driven by improved market activity, mainly in construction, and our strategic focus on growing product support. Growing revenue, improved execution, and discipline on cost and capital is driving strong ROIC performance in the UK and Ireland to nearly 15% in Q3. The outlook for our business in the UK and Ireland remains strong. Our backlog is at record levels, including about 110 million pounds of orders related to HS2. On slide 9, you can see our mid-cycle targets for the periods Q3 2021 to Q2 2022 that we discussed at our investor day earlier this year. 
We are pleased with the strong execution of our strategic plan to drive product support, reduce costs, and reinvest to compound our earnings. Given our momentum and improved earnings capacity, we now expect to achieve our mid-cycle EPS and ROAC targets ahead of schedule. In the fourth quarter, we expect strong new equipment deliveries in Chile mining and UK construction, while consistent with prior years, both rental and labor utilization are expected to be below Q3 levels. We remain positive about the market backdrop for 2022 and 2023 with a healthy outlook for customer activity likely moving to the upcycle. We expect positive free cash flow in the fourth quarter, building on the $152 million of free cash flow generated year to date. Our balance sheet is strong with net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio at 1.3 at September 30th, 2021. Our board has approved our second quarterly dividend of 22.5 cents per share, consistent with the 10% dividend increase last quarter which marked our 20th consecutive year of dividend increases. We are making strategic capital investments in our Canadian facilities network, continue to add rental assets, and invest in our digital platform. We expect our net capital expenditures and net rental fleet additions to be at the top end of the 170 to 210 million range in 2021. We deployed and committed roughly 85 million of capital in Q3 between share repurchases and the acquisition of a 54.5% controlling ownership in Comtech. We repurchased 1.8 million shares in Q3, an average cost of 32.96, and we invested and committed 25 million in Comtech, of which 20 million is to support future growth of mobile natural gas and hydrogen distribution service platform. This acquisition builds on the success of our forward fuel business, which since acquisition has delivered excellent returns and customer outcomes. Forward Fuel has shown excellent growth and profitability since acquisition and is accretive to the Canadian dealership EBIT as a percentage of net revenue. We are expanding our forward fuel capabilities to a wider range of renewable and sustainable low-carbon fuels to make this business even stronger for the long term. We will continue to evaluate other complementary businesses that are highly aligned with our strategy, drive improved outcome for our customers, and, attractive, and deliver attractive rates of return. To summarize, Q3 was a very strong quarter. We are executing well and demonstrating improved earnings capacity. While we remain vigilant and are actively managing through supply chain and inflation challenges, we're confident that our growing backlog, healthy inventory levels, and lower cost base will continue to support our heroic expansion going forward. Operator, I'll now turn the call back to you for questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. Analysts who wish to join the question queue may press star then one on their telephone keypad you'll hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Our first question is from Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks very much and good morning. Um, it looks morning, like Sherilyn. Build could be an important source of supply for equipment and components this cycle, and, and spinning has clearly been preparing for that. So I wonder if you could just give us a sense of rebuild capacity in Canada and South America, and what opportunities exist to flex that higher if needed. Yeah, thanks, Sherilyn. Um, you know, it's something we've been working on for quite some time with, with our global network strategy. And uh, so we're happy with the position that, that we're in currently, where we've really looked to leverage our hub locations in Edmonton, Kamloops, Calgary, and Regina uh, from a Canadian business perspective. Um, and so while at the beginning of the pandemic, we did 
um, pull some of our higher cost labor out of other regions. We have been successful in adding back that resource within that distribution diamond and replaced about two thirds of that uh, technical headcount there. We're actually seeing higher levels of productivity um, overall versus the prior headcount. So feel good about the way we've been able to attract people in the right places. And, and frankly, part of the design of that network is where the depth of talent um, we can see at the appropriate cost. So feel good about that. On the construction side, there's a lot of rebuilds ongoing, uh, continue to have capacity. On the mining side, you know, lots of quotations around rebuilds and discussions about rebuild versus new. Um, and we're starting to see some of the CapEx budgets come out of the miners and, and certainly a lot of progress for them on, on cash flow and balance sheet. So we do think in 2022 that will be a theme, and we've certainly uh, got plans in place to be able to meet that um, demand uh, if and when it comes. And then from a South America perspective, we've actually, we've actually been able to hire over 350 technicians um, year to date. Um, you know, Finning has an excellent brand down there, a great team that we've been able to promote internally, but attract you know, more junior resources from the market. Um, and so a lot of rebuild activity um, in construction for sure, and increasingly in mining, and, and we feel good about, while it's a challenge, we feel good about you know, staffing up to meet those demands. Great, that's helpful, color. Um, and then in terms of how thinning is positioned with Caterpillar uh, as a supplier in the context of supply chain disruption, it seems to me that Caterpillar probably has somewhat more control over its supply chain versus o other OEMs because, for example, a cat machine contains a cat engine and not a third-party engine. So I'd just like to get your take on that line of thinking. Yeah, sure. And so, Scott, so um, I think you're probably right in terms of, I, I think CAT has spent a lot of time over the last four or five years, you know, fostering that supply chain and making sure the relationships were strong. And, and then there's, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, components and parts that CAT um, manufacturers themselves. So I think that's helpful. You know, I would say, and, you know, Kat mentioned this on their call, I think these supply chain pressures, no one aren't, no one's immune from them. And, uh, you know, we are seeing Kat, um, you know, have to work, work to, to kind of mitigate some of these pressures. I think the benefit for us is, um, you know, we were on it early. And so we started ordering quite early when we started to see machine utilization hours go up. And so you actually see in the results our inventory built this year, which I think is a little bit different than some of our competitors, and that puts us in a good position, I think, to meet the you know the demand requirements. You know that being said, you know as we mentioned, lead times are extending, and and um, you know there will be some impact to us as well. That's my cue. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The next question is from Jacob Bout with CIBC. Please go ahead. Good morning. Morning, Jacob. Um, just wanted to ask uh, a couple of questions about 
South America client behavior. And I know that um, new equipment deliveries were good in the third quarter. And you're talking about, you know, uh, being good through the fourth quarter, but backlog levels are lower. Um, assuming a lot, much of that has to do with the drawdown um, uh, because of the QB2 deliveries. Um, outside of QB2, you know, how much of a wait and see approach uh, is there before the November elections? Um, and maybe differentiate between what you're seeing on the mining and construction uh, customer behavior in South America. Sure. Thanks, Jacob. So certainly on the mining side, um, there are some pause and some of the public announcements from certain customers talking about, you know, waiting to make some decisions and, and clarity. Um, you know, that said, a lot of projects with Cadelco are on the go, which you know, is the government and won't have the same issues. Um, you know, a lot of stability agreements with customers like tech who continue to move forward. Um, but we, we continue to, you know, have significant order intake um, from miners, particularly on ancillary equipment. Um, you know, not, not the larger packages like Cadelco or Tech, but, you know, five, 10 million at a time. And, and so that continues uh, to flow regularly. Um, and so I think it is, and we see a lot, um, particularly in the mining contractor space where they're being awarded contracts and, and fulfilling equipment quite regularly. So that that's fairly normal. I think some of the larger greenfield um, or new brownfield projects. Uh, we'll wait to get some clarity here in the new year. But on the construction side, really all scenarios point to more infrastructure, um, regardless of the direction of travel on constitution or, or mining royalties. So we're seeing really strong activity across the construction base. Um, we expect that really to continue in, in, in all scenarios. So um, as you can see from the results, it's strong. Still got quite a large backlog we're delivering through, but we're also uh, have the order intake continue with some momentum. And, and then just a couple comments on the overall political environment. So we have so many elections. You know, I think our expectation is that it will move to a runoff in December, and then you've obviously got the constitutional process underway. And so I think this uncertainty, you know, political uncertainty, will, will be with us for a while. You know, that all being said, I think the consensus is moving towards where we thought it was going to be, which is yes, an increase in taxes and royalties, but you know, probably on the modest side, which will allow uh, miners to can you know continue to invest and take advantage of a you know a great economy that's got uh, you know well developed and 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 strong institutions. So you know we do feel good long term about Chile, and in the, in the near term, like Greg said, you've got pretty significant infrastructure, pretty significant GDP growth, and and high copper prices. So that's why you're seeing the type of results you are in Chile. Okay, that's helpful. And maybe just. Uh circle back here on, on, on the supply chain issues. I, I know last quarter you're talking about inventory health and age of inventory. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Is that still the case here uh, uh, coming out of third quarter? And then I guess secondarily, um, you know, how should we think about, you know, I noticed you maintained your, your net uh, revenue uh, range of the 7.1 to 7.5, but given these supply chain issues, you know, should we be thinking something closer to the bottom end of that range? Yes, thanks, Jacob. So on age of inventory, yes, it's, it's certainly a supportive environment where we have inventory coming in. It's being prepped once, direct to a customer who's anxiously awaiting it. So it's a very efficient backdrop where, um, as you can see from our terms, things are arriving and departing quite quickly. And where we have had some pockets of, of aged equipment, we've moved through it. You, know, you all have seen 
South America used equipment, you know, down year over year because we moved a lot of it this time last year. So really tidy, uh, healthy inventory position and, and moving through the system quickly, which is really helpful from a, a margin perspective and a turns perspective. Um, and in terms of our revenue range, you know, we continue to work towards that, um, as we highlighted, um, planning for a growing market and ordering inventory and sourcing used and, and, and adding rebuilds to the equation. So we feel good about that range. And, and like any range, you're trying to hit the middle for sure and then aim for the upside. So that's what we're trying to do. And the uh, market's cooperating from a demand perspective and we're working away on the supply side. All right, great. Thank you, guys. Our next question is from Yuri Link with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Morning, Yuri. Good morning, guys. Uh, Greg, you introduced some some more cautionary language surrounding uh, inflationary pressures in the in the outlook section, which is understandable. Um, yet you, you do expect to achieve the mid cycle a little earlier. So what are some of the, the offsets to these, these pressures and, and generally what's, what's kind of changed to uh, bring your mid cycle expectations forward a little bit? Sure, well, we set the, the mid cycle framework at Investor Day and we're really pleased um, with the way we've performed and executed so far. Q2 and Q3 results certainly we're both very strong. Um, so we're delivering the top line, um, you know, healthy from a margin perspective and continue to work away at SG&A. When you do all three at the same time, you know, it drops nicely down to earnings and, you know, the expanding growth helps the whole system work. So I feel good about how, how we've been executing, you know, um, working towards our SG&A target here and, you know, supportive on the margin side. And so, you know, to date, it's been good on SG&A and probably a little more tailwind on the margin side, that some of that's mixed, some of that's execution, some of that's you know, supply and demand. Um, but it, it's a mix of the three, and I guess you can see all three regions uh, contributing and, and, and executing well. And then we hit, hit all three areas that I talked about earlier, it, you know, it drops to the bottom line, and we're pleased with that expanded earnings capacity. Okay, that's helpful. Um, how do you feel about uh, the the rental fleet as it stands? Um, is it is it adequately sized? And if you wanted to increase it, is is there even any uh, equipment available to do so? But, but any comments on that and and what we should expect next year for um, additions? Yeah, from a rental perspective, as you can see, particularly in Canada, it was. Um, an important feature of the quarter. If you benchmark Q3, Q2 and Q3, the rental ramp um, really helped. And so we, we've actually taken steps through the year to make sure that we've maintained the rental fleet and resisted the urge to, um, you know, monetize. And so we've, we've kept it kind of as planned for the year. Next year, we're, see, we're looking at a modest increase. Um, you know, we work with CAD each year for our annual planning. Um, we are seeing strong market conditions, strong physical and financial utilization. And so um, it won't be a huge step change next year, but, you know, modest growth. Okay. I'll turn it over. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Yuri. Our next question is from Michael Dumont with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. <clears throat> um, yeah, the first question is on mining. Um, I mean, can you maybe just discuss 
your thoughts on the shape of this recovery. I mean, the trek back to 2019 product support levels feels like it's taking longer than expected, especially if you consider, you know, the fiat performance on the construction side. Um, so, I mean, do you think miners have the flexibility to continue to invest incrementally, or is there a point where, you know, the spending needs to, to ramp a little bit more significantly? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, Michael. And, and yeah, of course, as we highlighted, you know, construction aftermarket share is a key focus. We're pleased we're making progress there. And the mining is a, a big part of our business. And, and both um, in Alberta and in Santiago, um, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, restraint over the last several years. Um, of course, we've seen some good moderation in the last two or three quarters. Um, and we've seen some catch-up maintenance. Um, but also, you know, you've seen some lower copper production numbers in South America. We do expect that to moderate and then increase. And then in Canada, there's just been an un unprecedented amount of discipline. Um, we're working with customers to extend lives on things, but ultimately, um, there's going to be some rebuild and new decisions that need to come here, um, in, you know, in 2022. And so we do think there'll be momentum just as we've got aged fleets, um, you know, logging a lot of hours. And so we do see momentum there and we do see continued growth. Certainly there hasn't been all the catch up um, that, that we had been thinking maybe six months ago, um, but we do think that there's good momentum there. Gotcha, thanks. And uh, on inventories, is it, I mean, are you able to estimate maybe how short you are on inventories in the context of the current environment? Um, and I guess maybe thinking about it from an inventory turns perspective, you know, has the enhanced visibility in your end markets, maybe fewer touch points through your supply chain, has that been the major driver on the lower inventories or is it really just the supply and demand imbalance? Yeah, like with everything, it's a, it's a mix. We've, we've done a lot of work around standardizing our inventory, you know, what we stock, what, how we sell it, trying to be very efficient with, training customers through the rental fleet to get on more standardized product. That does really allow us to move things through the system, you know, once and more efficiently and, and optimize obsolescence would be one example. Um, so we made good progress on the nuts and bolts for sure. But as I highlighted earlier, we've also, you know, there's strong demand. There are some delays. When things arrive, customers are looking for them quickly. We're getting through things through the shop faster than ever. And so there's definitely a, a market pull that helps that dynamic. So it's, it's a mix of good execution, um, but also a supportive market. Great. Any and then from a supply, supply, yeah, just from a supply perspective, to the first part of your question, so very similar to what Kat said. You know, we're pleased with the revenue growth. Of course, it could have been a bit higher if there was free supply, um, but it's still a very solid market, and we'll we'll continue to work away on the proactive tools we've got in our toolkit. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. The next question is from Devin Dodge with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. All right. Thanks. Uh, good morning, guys. So I just want to start with a question on uh, gross margins. Um, look, if you strip out the impact from mix, uh, it, it appears that gross margins were you know, up across, I think most or nearly all lines of business. Just can you speak to how much was internally versus externally or market driven? And if you think these gains are sustainable, and just because when we look at that framework for getting to mid-cycle earnings, I think you had been targeting, 
you know, 17% uh, SG&A costs. It looks like you're going to be at that mid-cycle earnings in 2021, but SG&A is going to be able to, you know, 150 basis points higher than that. So just, just trying to one, think about that sustainability of the gross margins where they are. Yeah, sure. So, you know, as you highlighted, you know, the, the way we look at that is there's a bit on mix, a bit on execution, and a bit on market conditions. So on, on the mix, you know, we've continued to benchmark this year as mid-cycle to 2018. And so Q3 of this year and Q3 of 18 are roughly similar product support mix. Um, but we are 100 basis point higher on margin this quarter. And I'd say it's really around the framework that we laid out at Investor Day. You know, that part of it's operational excellence, part of it's data analytics. And then in this market, you know, some of it is, you know, just um, strong demand and, and some supply constraints. And so I'd say it's probably a third, a third, a third there. Um, but certainly we've made improvements that just highlighted in Michael's question, um, some of the standardization, but also commercial governance um, around terms and conditions and other things, but also data and analytics. You know, having the right inventory at the right time makes a big difference. Um, and, and you were able to make some you know, good, good data-driven decisions around inventory and, and pricing. So that's certainly helpful and certainly matured since the last cycle. Um, and then market conditions, you've, you know, you've got strong demand and tight supply, which is just supportive and things move through the system quickly and efficiently and that, that helps margins. And, um, so I think it's a mix of those things. Um, and I do think that you know, this, you know, we're gonna have a strong market here, we believe, um, for the next uh, period of time into the up cycle. And so we think a lot of those dynamics um, you know, stay for the foreseeable here. Okay, that's good color. Thanks for that. Um, maybe just a quick one on uh, on free cash flow. Um, uh, you know, is free cash flow conversion of slightly below fifty percent? That's something you were highlighting earlier this year, subject to change. But just wondering if that's still achievable. Um, and any early thoughts you can share with regards to the setup for free cash flow in uh, in twenty twenty two, assuming we get into this uh, sustained upcycle. Yeah, I mean, we've been pleased to have some more consistency of free cash flow here, and really pleased to be year to date, you know, over 150 million. Um, there's quite a quite a things on quite a number of things on boats and in progress, and, and we're certainly got a busy 50 days left here to deliver a lot of equipment. And so we'll continue to push. You know, we've highlighted strong free cash flow. I don't think we're going to put a decimal point on it because um, there's quite a few things in flux, but we just feel good. It'll be strongly positive, and we'll have to give you an update as. Okay, thanks. Congrats on the good quarter. Uh, I'll turn it over. Great, thanks, Devin. Our next question is from Sabahat Khan with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great, thanks and good morning. Um, just a bit of a follow-up on kind of the Western Canada demand that you're seeing. Um, there's been some discussion out there about just the oil sands producers focusing a bit more on return of capital versus sort of investments. It looks like the results there were generally good, but I'm just curious what you're hearing in terms of, you know, whether it's demand for new equipment or rebuilds from your customers there. Yeah, certainly uh, customers have been busy. There's a lot of production, um, strong prices, and you know, a lot of them just had their quarters. You can see great cash flow. They're certainly prioritizing you know, reinstating dividends, and each, each seems to have their own kind of gross net or net debt target they're working towards. And so um, they've made a lot of progress in repairing balance sheets and reinstating dividends. And um, you know, I think once they move beyond those debt targets, which looks like they're moving to pretty quickly, you know, we do think they'll be 
some more capital to spend, and some of those discussions have started, but we expect them to more kind of um, you know, ramp up into 2022. Okay, and then I guess when we look at the backlog that you have right now, you know, there's been some discussion for a while around the age of the equipment in Latin America and in Western Canada being quite old. You know, are you seeing some of that renewal of fleet in that backlog right now, or is this more just related to current demand out there? Just want to understand how your customers are thinking about fleet renewals at this point. Hey, Sab, just make sure I understand your question. I think if you're talking about our inventory, we feel really good about the age of that inventory. There's been a lot of progress in South America over the last few years to get that inventory in great shape, and and we're in a you know even a better position than going into SAP. So just wanted to make sure. I think what you were talking about is our customers' uh, fleets and the age of those. So let me address that. And if I got the question wrong, you know, just correct me. Uh, you know, I think it comes back to some of Greg's comments around just capital discipline from miners in general. So a lot of these fleets are, are you know, quite old. Uh, we've been uh, rebuilding and helping our customers, um, you know, maintain productivity and keep up and running. And so our fleet, the fleet utilization is very high. I think as Greg highlighted, our, our sense is that capital budgets will free up a little bit, um, you know, on the back of a little bit more political certainty in Chile and then on the back of high commodity prices in both Chile and in Western Canada. And so we do feel pretty um, optimistic around, uh, you know, increasing activity around our big miners going forward, although, you know, moderate, not not type of what we saw back in 2013 to 14, 15, but or 2012, 13, 14, but, but a moderate increase, which is what CAT has been positioning for the last, you know, year or two as well. So we're pretty consistent with CAT's view on that. No, thanks. Ed. That covers it. And then just, I guess, last question. This might be a bit more philosophical, but you talked earlier about just the energy transition and how CAT sort of can fit into that. You know, one of the things that we've been seeing headlines around is just a significant amount of capital this uh, energy transition might require. You know, as you talk to some of your customers in some of these resource industries, kind of how do you see kind of the CAT machines and, you know, fitting, fitting into that broader transition? Is it just through more efficient machines or how else can you maybe uh, – play a part or kind of benefit from some of that CapEx over the next kind of coming years? Yeah, so uh, I guess a couple of thoughts on that. One, I mean, the energy transition is real, and, and we obviously are uh, very supportive of that transition and working with our customers to help them address um, their emissions. Um, and I think what you've seen over the last three to six months from Caterpillar uh, and major customers is some pretty significant announcements. And, you know, I'd point you to the BHP announcement. Uh, the Rio announcement, you know, an announcement with one of the rail companies in Canada here last week. And so I think CAT is working hard with customers to come up with solutions that will help them address their needs, whether it be battery electric or hydrogen. And, and you know, that will take a period of time, but that's the ultimate, you know, objective, the North Star. I think in the near term, what we're seeing is using the, the great CAT technology that exists today to drive emissions lower. You know, and I would point you to the um, technology demonstration that we had in Calgary um, about a month ago. Actually, I think there's some social media on that right now. I mean, it was a great event. 90 of our customers showed up, and they and, and what we were profiling was the, the dynamic gas blending engine that CAT has. No one else has this engine. You know, it's a it's a it's essentially a tri-fuel engine where you can substitute um, diesel for natural gas and and also have a 20% hydrogen blend. 
So you think about a customer that's sitting there with a lot of um, desire to reduce emissions, and it's an economical way, given you know different commodity prices, to drive great productivity improvements and emission reductions. And so it's those sorts of things that we're working hard with our customers to help them meet their needs. And I think CAT's extremely well positioned in this regard. One other comment, you know, we're seeing this in the underground space is CAT moving, um, you know, with with pace on electrification. And so we've got a great underground um, battery loader, the R1700, which was profiled at Mine Expo. We've got one um, piloted uh, right now in our territories, and, and we'll we'll continue to to push that forward. So those are just some examples of of what CAT's doing, and we feel really pleased with with the progress here over the last year. Great. Thanks very much for that. Thanks, Ava. Once again, any analyst who has a question may press star then one on their telephone keypad. Our next question is from Ross Gillardi with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Ross. Um, yeah, I just wanted to check. I mean, you gave some some of the moving pieces for the for the fourth quarter. Um, are, are margins these record margins holding in the in, in the same general you know uh, range in the first fourth quarter? And then, how, how do we think about um, the second half of 21 into first half of of, of, of 22? Do, do you do you hold the second half run rate? Do we see like what used to be kind of the normal seasonal weakness in early 22, or just given your comments about shifting more into, you know, mid to upper mid cycle in, in, in 22, I forget exactly how you phrased it. Do you actually see first half of, 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 of 22 uh, earnings up versus the second half of 21? Yeah, I guess, you know, we highlighted, you know, Ross, you know, after a number of quarters of, of sequential growth coming out of COVID, which is kind of unique, the you know the, certainly the, the trajectory that you had in 2020, and then of course we've been rebounding with strong growth since, and I, I think we've reached that point where we'll start to see some more of the typical seasonality, where you know particularly in Q4, you know the rental fleet isn't as fully utilized as Q3, and some of the labor recovery, um, I think in the latter half of the quarter, is, is a bit lower. Um, so those are just a couple of reminders around the seasonality of Q4, and then you know typically Q1 will, will ramp up, Q2 and Q3 are you know peak summer season in the northern hemisphere, and so that's the typical seasonality, and we think we're back towards that. Uh, we've got strong new equipment deliveries in Q4 and in Q1 in Chile and in the UK, um, and then the product support business will kind of be back to kind of normal seasonal trends. So. Um, I don't think we're going to contour next year right now, um, but you know, some of those are some of the building blocks, and we feel like there's good momentum, but certainly not just continued sequential quarter over quarter like we've seen for the last four quarters. Got it. And and then I just wanted to um, ask if you could provide any additional color on just this this, this real uh, acceleration you've seen in, in product support on the construction side. I mean, is it, is it more large equipment, small equipment, or is it everywhere? And is it a directly a function of the extended lead times? And, and, and you know, with that, do you see mix in, in um, construction maybe moving back more towards new equipment as, as, as the lead time issues abate? You know, it's like a lot of the answers today. It's a mix. So we're really pleased that, you know, we were working with CAP 
you know, even pre-COVID around the rebuild strategy. So we had a lot of customer propositions ready. Um, we've had a lot of CBA propositions ready. Um, and we've been breaking down our you know, lot business within the sector and looking at competitors for over a year and a half. So that was all ready to go before some of these supply chain, supply chain constraints. So um, even before that, we saw a lot of progress. It's, a, it's across the board. Of course, larger equipment has, uh, has a bigger impact on us, but it's across the product range. We're, we're looking under every rock to find lost opportunities and capture them. We're making good progress. And then, of course, from there, with, with some of the constraints, customers are turning to rebuilds. Uh, and we're doing some rebuilds, frankly, ourselves to fill supply. And so um, it's a mix, um, but we're really pleased that we have that strategy ready for the market that we're in. Yeah, and I, I Ross, just a couple things. I, I don't think it's really a supply chain issue here. I mean, I'm following up on Greg's point, this is pretty aligned with Cat's view on aftermarket and construction. You know, we've spent a lot of time over the last four or five years connecting machines, uh, getting CVAs in place, uh, and driving market share where we were underpenetrated in the construction aftermarket. And so I think you're seeing that all come together, uh, which, you know, is good news. And our expectation is is that continues into 2022 and 2023. Got it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Russ. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Ms. Amanda Hobson for any closing remarks. Thank you, operator. And this concludes our third quarter earnings call. Thank you all for joining and have a safe day. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.